Happy New Year? Question mark. Happy New Year? Question mark. Are you Chinese or not? Question mark. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy Chinese New Year. Gong Hei Fa Choi. Is that right? I can't say it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> okay, good. Happy New Year, the dog. Happy New Year, the doggo. Happy New Year to good boys everywhere. Woof. So I brought with me today some. I don't know how to say it in English. Turnip cake, I think. Turnip cake. How do you say it in Chinese? Is this the same as the turnip cake you get with dim sum, or is it different somehow? If there is a difference, it's subtly different because I don't know. Is it the same name? Yes. Okay, then I think it's the same. You should try some and then tell some. us. Okay, I I quite like the turnip cake you get with dim sum. One, one sec, let's try it. What is? Can you describe it? <laughs> Not really. It's this, it's this weird kind of stodgy cake made of. Turnip? It's made of turnip, like English turnip. It's made of like daikon radish, is it? Yeah. And it's not spongy in the cake sense. Oh, it's got the sausage in it too. I've been warned it's quite peppery. Hmm. It's just a sound of chewing now. Is this like an ASMR vid or is it just offensive? I can't tell. <laughs> well, I quite like turnip cake. Well, now you have plenty. Mm, I do. You've given me like a huge uh, Tupperware container of it. So thanks, April. Thanks, April's mum. I think it's quite nice fried. It makes the outside a bit crispy. Yeah, it's not spongy. It's kind of like it's kind of like pure stodge. It's like a jelly. Yeah, it's kind of more like a jelly. Which is far too much gelatin. Well, anyway, I quite like it. Not sure there was much point to that. <laughs> it's just us eating. Really, <laughs> I wasn't even talking about eating. We were just eating. We were just eating some traditional Chinese New Year food. You should have said you gave me a red packet because you're married and you have to now. I thought that was amusing. Well, and I had to be like, oh, thank you. Ting go or whatever the appropriate honorific is. Hurry up and get married so you can give bread packets to my daughter. <laughs> yeah, then I'll be like detente. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, it's fine. You've got you've got other people to give bread packets to your daughter. True. April's just taking her out for lunch <laughs> unnecessarily just to. Oh look, my daughter's here. Yeah, don't forget about my daughter. <laughs> If you're not familiar with Chinese traditions, that probably made no sense to you. It's traditional for married people to give unmarried people red packets at Chinese New Year. Red packets of money. And if you're married with children, the children are the source of income. <laughs> the source of income. <laughs> okay, if you want to put it like that. Yes. More importantly, you've come back from skiing. Yeah, I've come back from like another double holiday. Six days of skiing as well. Yes, six days of skiing. No sores, no aches, no pains. No, I'm fine. Well, I was away for two and a half weeks, and the first week was skiing. So actually, I had a week to recover from skiing. Though no, I was not particularly sore anyway. I'm my skiing is quite energy efficient. So lazy man skiing, lazy man skiing. Well, I think most of the exhaustion from skiing comes from like fighting the mountain, like trying to to fight against gravity. So if you just like ski really fast. Then it uses up hardly any energy, so I just ski really fast, <laughs> just shoot downhill, and yeah, as long as you've got good balance, it's fine. 
you don't have to use very much energy. No funny stories. No, no funny stories, really. Fine. Fine. Anything funny from Iceland. Fun fact. The Northern Lights in real life are really anticlimactic. We were really excited to go and see the Northern Lights. Like, we were really, like, pumped to see the Northern Lights. And then, you know, the weather was good. The aurora, we were told, was strong because it was, like, four out of eight in terms of, like, solar wind strength or something. So we were told there was a good chance of seeing it. And we got driven to this desolate, snow-covered, rocky field in the middle of nowhere. And then suddenly we hear this cry, the Northern Lights are over there. And we look over there and there's just, like, this kind of vague glow in the sky but it's not in all the photos it looks really impressive it's like this epic green like floating curtain of like lights and in real life you kind of just see this pale grayish slightly lighter patch of the sky moving about but it's not bright enough for you to perceive any color so in real life it's kind of just this vague floaty slightly brighter patch of sky but when you point your camera at it and do like a 30 second exposure, then it looks epic. So I've got amazing pictures of the Northern Lights and everyone on Facebook is going, oh, this is amazing. Wow, it must have been incredible. I'm like, yeah, it looks better in the photos than real life. So there you go. Fun fact. The Northern Lights in real life, much less impressive than photos. The Icelandic tourism board will be on you. (laughs) Have you ever watched a film in concert or with a orchestra? A film with a live orchestra. Yeah, so in Hong Kong, they're showing Star Wars A New Hope with an orchestra. No, I have not done this. Would you? Opinion, please. Is it really going to add much? Live music? Well, I'd be curious of trying it, but I I can't say it'd be like, oh, I can see that's going to be amazing. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. It's because you've just seen the Northern Lights. You've just seen the Northern Lights. It's because I've just seen this, like, vague glow in the sky. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds like the sort of thing that's more impressive when you tell people you did it than the reality of doing it. Like our podcast. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Sorry. On that note. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me today, Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Ting. Tingogo. Doje. Something. Lysi. Something. Something. Cantonese. You could just say Gong Fatroy again. Gong Fatroy. Today, we're a book club for games. Hooray! And we have spoilers for. Torment. Ties of Numenera. Correct pronunciation this time. Doesn't sound as good though. I thought <laughs> I can't believe that I got the name wrong. Because <laughs> we were talking about how we couldn't pronounce any of the names. Is it Saga's Cliffs? Is it Sega's Cliffs? Is it, you know, we were saying all this stuff, Stikus, Stitches. So we were saying that we couldn't pronounce any of the names or we weren't sure how they're pronounced. And then it turns out we're pronouncing the actual name of the game wrong. Because I thought it was Numenara. And I couldn't understand why Google kept trying to correct me until I looked at it and I was like, Oh, it's Numenera. It's got an E, not an A. Whoops. So you were British. Yeah, yeah, it's the British pronunciation. It's fine. So, 
We need to recap. Well, okay, first off, first off, what are we actually talking about in this episode? Because I said last time, finish the game. But I mostly said that because it wasn't clear to me how we should break it up. And now we have both finished the game, but this last section is actually really long, it turns out. So the first bit, I think we, we did, what, about 15 hours? And this last section is about 20-ish hours. Slightly more than 20 hours, I think. So we are going to break it up after all. So if you haven't finished playing the game, that's fine. We will go up until you meet with the Memovira. Or is it Memovira? I'm going to say Memovira. So we're going to talk about the game from the Valley of Dead Heroes until the meeting with the Memovira. And we will do a separate episode from meeting with the Memovira up until the end of the game. So that's the new plan. Although we actually have both finished the game. Yes. And recap then? Story so far? You You should recap. Well, we're the last cast off. We met a bunch of people in the Sagas Cliffs. We're trying to repair the resonance chamber and we need to find a cast off called Mazoff to do so. To track down Mazoff, we're trying to get to Meal Avest, the entrance to which is in the Valley of Dead Heroes. And so this section starts off with us being in the Valley of Dead Heroes. And then do you want a summary of the story up until the end of this section of the game we're playing? Yes. So we get to the Valley of Dead Heroes. We talk to a bunch of people and do a bunch of quests and find the tomb that contains the entrance to Mila Vest. We get a mere caster that contains a memory of Mazoff and thus are able to learn more about the resonance chamber. But the sorrow attacks Mila Vest and we have to escape. And we take a portal from Mila Vest that leads us to the Bloom, which is some weird interdimensional living city underneath the Sagas Cliffs. And then we learn that the first cast off is alive. Whoa. And to find the first cast off, we need the help of the Memovira, who is the ruler of the Bloom. And to do that, we need someone important to arrange an audience for us. And the most important person who will help us is this guy called Dracogen. And in order for him to help us, we have to do a favour for him. And he wants us to retrieve an artefact called the Magmatic Annulet. Or alternatively, the Navigational Cortex, it turns out, is an option. So bring one of those two items to him, and he will then give us an audience with the Memovira. And that's the end of the section. In super high summary form. Sounds simple. But it was long. (laughs) Actually, that's not fair. I thought it was actually really good. I actually, my opinion of this game has changed. I actually really like the bloom. Besides it before then. Sorry, you just, my my face, my my expression changed. I was like, oh. So we can start. Valley of Dead Heroes. Your airship takes you there. The moment you land, you're, you're faced with an encounter and you're asked to do someone a favour, as always. And I really thought I couldn't get out of this request to take out someone. How, how did you do it? I sided with the memorialists. 
So there's two sets of people who are about to have a fight. There's two memorialists. Actually, the memorialists hiding. I think you can't even see the memorialists at this point. And then there's some of the children of the Endless Gate who are hunting the memorialists. And I had solved the murder in Saga's Cliffs, in the underbelly. And the murderer was a member of the Endless Gate cult. So I was like, oh, I'm trying to find this murderer anyway, who's in with the Endless Gate. So I'm going to fight Endless Gate because I know I'm going to have to hunt her down anyway. So I sided with the memorialists straight off and just fought the Endless Gate. Oh, you fought them? Yeah. I thought you weren't trying to fight things. I just did what I felt like. <laughs> Sorry. So I thought I had to f- there had to be a fight, but I talked my way out of it. Which surprised me. I think I still hadn't come to terms with the fact I can talk my way out of everything. Even if you fight them, it turns out you can still side with the Endless Gate. Because when I actually went into the tombs, again, there's a set, there's two sets of people. There's the Memorialists and the Endless Gate. And the Endless Gate cultists are holding the Memorialists hostage to try and find the code for this Whisper Lock. And you actually can still side with the Endless Gate there if you want. Because I already knew the code because I talked to the Memorialists outside the tomb because I'd sided with them. But if I wanted to, I could then just betray the memorialists and go with the Endless Gate at that point. But I didn't. How did you get rid of the Endless Gate? Uh, I just decided to fight them. I just had a fight. I was just like, no, I'm siding with these guys. Punch. Puncho! I totally thought this wouldn't be the approach you'd take. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm on the clock here. Let's have a fight. GTFO. Yeah, I, I actually resolved the Endless Gate quest really quickly, and I'm usually very methodical and try and do all the subquests in an area, but I actually just immediately went and just dealt with the Endless Gate and went into the gate and then closed the gate. And I didn't realise that the Severed Child quest is actually related to the Endless Gate quest. So I actually just closed off this huge storyline about the Severed Child, which I think you did. I did. So what does that mean you missed, though? Well, I started the Severed Child quest because I found some gigantic prism thingy that had... I don't know, it gave me the start of the Severed Child quest, but the the quest itself, it just moved to the completed quest section without resolution. It does that? I thought it would just disappear. Well, it disappeared from my active quest. It just moved to completed quests, but it just stopped halfway because it turns out for the severed child, I would have had to go back and talk to some of the memorialists and talk to, was it Ronos or Ronon? Yep. I discover it was his daughter and do all this back and forth and something, something with Inifir. I don't know. None of that happened because I had already just gone into the gate and then had to confront Inifir and then was very confused because I actually did get some conversation item to talk to him about this child. And I was like, what? Like, why is this related? So even though I didn't actually know the connection, it was just one of the options. So I picked that option about what his dreams meant. But then I just obviously picked some other incorrect options because I didn't really know anything about what was going on. And I failed to convince him to close the gate of his own volition. And I was also in really dire straits because I actually hadn't rested before going into the gate. You know, I just immediately had had a fight with a whole bunch of these Endless Gate cultists outside the gate, opened the Whisper Lock, went into the Endless Gate straight away and then found I couldn't leave the gate and also, I couldn't die, because if you die in the gate, it's game over. 
And when you were in the gate, there's these weird flapping skin creatures. It's just Ma- like mattresses. Yeah, <laughs> it's freaky. So it's like the flayed skin of people, but they're still alive and they're asking you to kill them and it will open a shortcut into the gate. But it also mentions that if you do that, it will make the gate itself stronger. Yes, but... So I was like, oh, it's probably better not to kill these people. So I didn't kill them and then just took a long and winding route through the gate. But as a result, I had to fight loads of endless gate cultists. You make the gate stronger, but what does that mean? Because you, st- I got the impression I'm going to talk my way out of this one anyway. Uh, well, when you actually have to do the fight the actual endless gate itself gets a turn and it's like this gigantic mouth that tries to like suck you into it and then bite you. And if you haven't killed any of these mattress things, then I think the mouth is really weak, like it's got really low chance to hit. So even though in all the fights this mouth thing appeared, it didn't really cause me any problems. Yes, the mouth did cause me problems. Yeah, so I think that's a trade-off. You can either kill these weird skin flappy things and go straight to Innerfear, but then in the fight with Inifia, the mouth will appear and be quite strong. Or you can not kill them, but you have to take this long winding route and fight loads of cultists. But anyway, as a result, I had like no stat pools left. Like all my characters had like zero stats. And as a result, I also failed to persuade Inifia because I didn't have enough effort to, you know, have a high chance to persuade. But you also had the child Rin with you at this moment. Yes, I had Rin with me. Which actually made it even harder because Rin's completely worthless. Like, the first turn of every fight, someone would just take out Rin. They'd just, like, teleport over to her and, like, punch her in the face and she'd be down. I'd be like, uh, great. So, I'm having to do this fight with three characters who have no stats. Yeah, I found it tough. So, did you actually talk your way out of the issue with Inifia? Yes. Oh, so you convinced him to close the gate and that was it? No, I still had to have a fight, though. Okay. But you were in a better condition and actually managed to fight him normally. But you, so did you, though. Well, this was the only time I used ciphers. I literally just, like, unloaded all of my ciphers on him at this point. Like, all of my combat ciphers. Because I just didn't have any other way of fighting him. Because I had, like, low chance to hit because I'd used up all my effort pools already. So, yeah, I just blasted him with a load of ciphers. I just fought him normally. Okay. I mean, I think this was the only fight in the game I actually found difficult. I actually thought I might lose. Anyway, and that's it. The gate's closed. Resolution of this quest. And then Inifia appears as a reflection in the labyrinth, because he's also a cast-off. Although actually, it's not just cast-offs that appear in the labyrinth. But anyway, he appears in the labyrinth, and you get, was it Inifia's madness? Some, you know, additional power from it, so. Anyway, there you go. That was the end of this gate. How about the other tombs? I want to talk about the other tombs and how you navigate the tombs. Because it was interesting. And at this stage of the game, we're in desperate need of things that are interesting. <laughs> what? Do tell. Because at the end of the last episode, we were commenting that the ideas are all good and they sound good on paper, but the reality is it's all a bit meh. But I found navigating the tombs quite interesting. I also genuinely thought the tombs were quite clever. So how do they work? So there's a terminal and you t- it's a four-digit code and that will teleport you? Yeah, the tombs are kind of arranged in a honeycomb formation. 
So they're all kind of hexagons, and then you can teleport directly to a tomb if you know its numerical combination. And you can also teleport to any adjacent tomb using this control console in every single tomb. Some of the tombs are story-related, so some codes lead to a specific tomb. For example, the Endless Gate or Mila Vest, they both have particular fixed codes, and that code will always take you to that tomb. The other tombs are kind of procedurally generated and contain the names of Kickstarter backers. So if you pledged over $140 to the Kickstarter, then you got a grave in one of these tombs with your name on it. And as part of your backer reward, you can actually go and look up where your tomb is and then have a look at your name. And I at first thought maybe every backer was in the tomb somewhere, but I think it is only the $140 plus ones. Because I was thinking, if I look long enough, will I find my name? But no, I don't think so. I think it's literally only the $140 plus backers. So talking to people, uncovering the codes to the tombs. So rather than have a space where you explore physically, there was back and forth, having conversations with NPCs. For once in the game, there was a reason to talk to people. And not just because I wanted two or three XP points. Yeah, actually, it gives you such a pathetic amount of XP. A lot of these conversations is like two XP, three XP, four XP, but it all adds up. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I thought it was quite an elegant solution because they obviously wanted to give some kind of backer reward. And I saw a comment on the Pillars of Eternity kind of forums saying that it's really immersion breaking because they had to sprinkle all these backer names throughout the game. And some of them are just really inappropriate, like for the fantasy setting. So at least in this game, all the random backer names are just confined to this one area of the game. So the really most immersion-breaking names, at least, you know, they're not in your face. And it was quite an elegant solution. It's quite clever. I mean, I, I just like procedural generation in general. So I thought this was quite a clever way of cramming it all in with, you know, limited art assets. It also feels like there's more depth than there really is, I guess, because, you know, you keep thinking, oh, maybe there's, I'm going to discover some random tomb that's got some amazing item in it. I, I'm not sure that actually really exists, but like there's the feeling that perhaps it exists and that itself is, you know, fun. That's all I had to say. Other stuff in the Valley of Dead Heroes that I think you didn't do. There are two critical companion quests that you have to get here. And if you don't, that's that's it for their quest lines. Well, certainly for Eretis anyway. So there is a monument of like dancing coloured lights and it turns out it was actually built by Alagurn. So if he is in your party, he will comment on it and it gives you some insight into his backstory. And similarly for Eretis, as soon as you arrive in the Valley of Dead Heroes, you hear... Well... Actually, maybe this is only because I've got the mind reading perk as well, but Eretus will mention something to you and you can read his thoughts and be like, oh, let's not go and visit any strange alcoves. And he's like, why do you talk about the alcove? Don't mention the alcove. Why? He just said about the alcove, you idiot. So his internal thoughts are conflicted and he's talking about this alcove like, haha, let's not go and look at any alcoves. And his internal thoughts are about, don't talk about the alcove. You can find this alcove. And inside it is a box and a shepherd's crook. And when you touch the shepherd's crook, crazy stuff happens and a reflection 
appears in the labyrinth of Eretis. And if you die, you can then go and talk to this reflection. And it's actually the real Eretis. So it explains why Eretis is this crazy hero with mad thoughts and the golden glow. Basically, Eretis, the real Eretis, is actually a sheep herder. Or he's a yol herder, and I assume yol are like sheep. So one of his animals wandered into the Valley of Dead Heroes one day, and he went down to retrieve it. And he found this alcove with this box. And when he opened the box, this golden glow came out and absorbed into his body, and he just became the hero Eretis, like he had to become heroic because of these things just kept shouting in his mind to do heroic things and he had no choice but to obey them. But the real Eretis is actually a yol herder and wants nothing more than to live a quiet life herding animals and be left alone. But he's forced to become this hero against his will. So the reflection in the labyrinth is the real Eretis and he tells you that he wants to just be freed from these demons. And do you? Well, we shall see. Yeah, it gets resolved later on. So both Alagon and Eretis questlines have further steps in the bloom. And then Eretis in particular has a final step at the very end of the game. So you're right about Eretis all along? Yeah, there was something weird about him. It was pretty obvious there was something weird about him. But you knew what his inner dialogue was. Well, no. His inner dialogue is not really in conflict with his external dialogue. His, I mean, his external dialogue is like really weird and naive heroic talk. And his internal dialogue is just someone shouting at him to do more heroic stuff. So you can tell, I mean, there's definitely something weird about him. Because no one's really like that. So, Mila Vest, you get to it from one of the tombs. Makina knows the combination that leads to this tomb. Presumably, if you didn't have Makina in your party and you didn't have the Bronze Sphere, you'd find it out from either the Memorialists or the Endless Gate Cult. One of them would also know this combination. So, whichever way you find it out, you go there, open the portal, and you're in Mila Vest, the Sanctuary of the Castoffs. You like this area? Not necessarily the area. What happens in the area, yes. I guess I was kind of expecting more from it in a in a way, but it's just one map. It's just one map with a bunch of cast-offs on, some of which are named and some of which are just called cast-off and really not interesting at all. I mean, some critical gameplay things you can do here. You can talk to someone who can upgrade your equipment so she can upgrade the armour for all of your companions. Did you? Yeah, I did for all of them. Because I just had loads of money. Because I'd been doing all the side quests. I didn't. Too I, bad for you. I, should, I shouldn't be so tight-fisted. It just makes my life more difficult. <laughs> and then, storyline-wise, you can talk to a bunch of characters who are either on the side of the first cast-off or the changing god uh some stuff about the endless battle you also meet the first dendra o'her like the founder of the dendra o'her which is quite interesting and then 
the most important person you have to talk to is Ardiris, Adiris, like another name I can't pronounce, who is in charge of the sanctuary. So she kind of enforces the peace. So whether you're on the Changing God side or the First Cast Off side, there's no fighting in Milevest. And she's de facto the leader here. So she has a mere caster of a cast off that met Mazoff and you are looking for Mazoff. So by using this mere caster, you will be able to talk to Mazoff and learn something about the resonance chamber. But before she'll allow you to use this mere caster, you have to prove to her that you don't have ill intent because even if it wasn't obvious to you or indeed me, your cast-off ability is that you can change the past by going into mere casters. So when you go into a mere caster and essentially control that cast-off, you are actually changing the past, which is crazy and doesn't really make sense, but, you know, it's a game, so you can do that. And she knows this and won't let you use this mere caster until you've proven that you're, you know, not going to abuse it. And she gives you the quest to go and talk to a bunch of people in the sanctuary and diffuse some conflicts or at least resolve some conflicts one way or another which you do <laughs> yeah okay so you've got nothing particular to say about any of those no let's save it for the good stuff okay and then once you convince her she gives you this mere caster which is of a cast off called Zerian, and you have to complete some quest to retrieve an artifact and bring it back to some people, some other cast-offs. The Chimera, and in particular, you have a chance to talk to Mazoff. You can ask Mazoff about the resonance chamber and say, oh, it's broken, how do I fix it? And he'll be like, oh, it's easy, blah, blah, blah. Wait a minute, why do you want to talk about the resonance chamber? And you'll be like, um, uh, the changing god asked me to? Or you can be like, oh, I'm not really Zerian, I'm another cast-off going back in time. Woo! Uh, whichever one you pick, he tells you that the resonance chamber will actually kill all of you. So it's going to absorb you all back into the changing god. And it will erase all the cast-offs, basically. So it's a bad idea to use the resonance chamber. Uh-oh. But it also tells you that the first cast-off is still alive. So everyone thinks the first cast-off is dead. Killed in the endless battle. But actually, the first cast-off is still alive. And... She's somewhere in the bloom. And she also has a plan for the resonance chamber that, well, is different to the changing gods. It will, well, it won't kill all of you, she thinks. So you now need to find the first cast off. That's your new main objective. And the other interesting thing that happens is once you exit the mere caster, you wake up in the labyrinth and the spectre is there. And the spectre turns out to actually be the changing god. So the changing god basically tells you, um, I'm going to need this body back. Sorry. Since I was happy to let you just run with it for a while, but now the first is alive. So I need to go and deal with her and I'm going to need this body back to do it. Thanks. And you have to resist him because if you don't, then it's game over, obviously, because it's no longer your body. So it turns out the spectre in your mind is the changing god. Which is quite interesting, because it kind of means that when you tell people you're the changing god, it's kind of true, 
because you're not exactly a cast off. It's not like the changing God left your body for another body and you're a cast off. The changing God, his mind was kind of just suppressed in your body still. And he hasn't actually taken a new body. Did you ever go around stating that you were the changing God? No. Same. But maybe I should have done. Same. Actually, another funny thing that happens here, before the mere caster bit, actually. Rin says she wants to talk to you. Oh, maybe this didn't happen for you, but this, this is when it happened for me. And Rin is asking you about the tides. And you have a conversation option to say, oh, my body is made of the tides. But I didn't actually know that at the time I talked to Rin. Because you find this out by when you talk to Melmoth, like the first Dendro her, and he tells you, oh, well, us castoffs, our bodies are actually made from the tides. And that's why we have this tidal affinity and tidal surge and all these tidal powers, because our bodies are made from the tides. And so Rin is telling you not to abuse the tides or saying, you know, you shouldn't mess with the tides. It seems evil. And you're telling her, well, actually, my body is made of the tide, so they're not inherently evil. But I weirdly could pick that option, even though I didn't know it at the time. But I guess this is just minor bugs and scripting errors. I mean, I suppose it is a long game. They're allowed that. But anyway, that's a key insight that your body is made from the tides. I just remembered that now. Sorry. Anyway, you deal with the changing god. You have to hold him off. I think you can either... It's not exactly a crisis. It's not actually a fight with him, but you have to conversationally defeat him by... Oh, in my case, I pointed out lots of things he'd done wrong, like the weird thing with the probability engine and the ghost woman, or his inability to solve this riddle of the Singing Thorns book, which I actually had solved. Stuff like that. I don't know how you dealt with him. Was it similar? Yes. And then after that, you leave the labyrinth... And Mila Vest is under attack by the sorrow. Do we want to talk about this in detail now? Or do you want to leave it to the end to talk about all the cool crises? Yes. Okay, fine. So the sorrow arrives, there's a crisis. And which we'll talk about in a bit. Yes. And then you end up in the bloom. This is turning out to be really long. Turns out there was so much to talk about. <laughs> The Bloom, I actually really like The Bloom. I like The Bloom much more than I expected. Straight off from the very first moment? No. At first I was like, oh, geez, this game. But actually, The Bloom was much more interesting a setting. It felt like there were so many more possibilities in The Bloom. It was a much more interesting space than the Sagas Cliffs. So it's another kind of city area of the game. There's lots of people you can talk to, and it just feels like there's lots of possibilities with these moors that open to other times and places. You meet lots of interesting characters who have various different side effects from that, and then the bloom itself is obviously a living creature and is like whispering into people's heads and like weird consequences of that too. It turns out the bloom chose its leader. Yeah, there's there's this thing, like this cycle going on of someone arising who has affinity with the bloom and they're known as the memovira or the memovira you've got to commit <laughs> can't do this <laughs> i've been fl- i've been flip-flopping this whole podcast and the bloom is really just fattening up the memovira so although it 
looks like this person has affinity with the bloom and controls the bloom they don't really control the bloom the bloom is actually just giving them interesting memories of like power and being a predator and then at some point the bloom will just cast them off well cast them off is this another parallel i don't know the bloom will just kind of cut ties with them and then eat them and absorb their memories and experiences and a new memoravira i just sorry just use the alternate front say a new memoravira will then arise and take their place so if you have Makina in your party, you actually learn that Makina was an agent of the previous Memovira and he was betrayed by this woman who is the new Memovira. But that's why Makina had to flee the bloom. And also the sorrow and the bloom don't get on. So normally the sorrow will not enter the bloom. So if you're a cast off, on the one hand, it's not a bad place to hide because you're kind of safe from the sorrow. But on the other hand, the bloom itself is pretty much as dangerous as the sorrow. So swings and roundabouts. And there's tons of stuff in the bloom. There's like loads of weird, interesting side quests. I mean, you know, there's so many things here. There's so many things here and they're not in any particular order. I don't know how you want to do this. I mean, we mentioned before, as soon as you arrive in the bloom, you talk to Dracogen and he tells you, if you want to talk to the Memovira, you need to do a favour for me. And I want this thing called the Magmatic Annulet. So go to the Ascension through this trade post and get it for me. And then you very quickly discover that the trade post that contains the more that leads to the Ascension, which is this weird crystal world, has been eaten by the bloom. So you need to find another way to get to the trade post, which itself is a quest to open another more. And there's a whole bunch of mores it could be. So you don't know which one is the one that leads to the trade post. And so you have to open, well, you don't have to open more moors you might hit upon it the first time but it's quite interesting to open the other moors anyway because they lead to interesting places there's also resolution for Alagern's quest the next step of Eritus' quest you can resolve Rin's storyline because she's trying to go home and you can actually open a portal home for her you actually find out how she got to the Sagas Cliffs and can send her home I mean there's loads of stuff where do you want to go we should talk about highlights because it's a lot of side quests that run in parallel with the main quest. Okay, so let's take turns. You first. Or should it by area? Was was there any sequence to the areas? I, I suppose you arrive in the Memovira's courtyard, then there's vast interior, and then from there it connects to the old slave block, which is this mergent area. Churgeon Swamp or something, which is where the healers are, and also this broken company of mercenaries, and then the Temple of Great Chiller, and finally, oh, small Neliesh, which Little. is where the mutants are. So let's start with the Memovira's courtyard. I don't have anything interesting to say there, though. <laughs> this okay. Maybe the only thing is Coty or Coty. Coty. <laughs> let's, let's call him Coty I call him Coty yeah there's a slave there's a pit of slaves and backstory law wise if you commit a capital offence in the Sagas Cliffs you can well instead of being executed you are sent to this slave pen 
and then you can be purchased as a slave and people will feed the slaves to one of the moors because usually the moors are interested in consuming predators in inverted commas so murderers usually are what the moors will want to eat and thus makes sense but you can also elect to be made a slave rather than serving a prison sentence and so this coty guy is actually just a petty thief but he chose to be made a slave and it's actually really because he feels guilt for the death of his sister because he feels like he caused her death so he feels like he's a murderer but he even though he didn't actually commit murder officially because his sister couldn't swim and she drowned because of like a prank he tried to play on her so he feels guilt for that and you can buy him as a slave and then do what you want with him like feed him to a moor for example or sell him to decanted which is this weird robot that wants to put its head on another body well there's a whole there's a whole like city of these people actually so you know it's looking for three attractive bodies that you can sell to it and Cody is one of them for example or various other nicer things you can do to him like you can set him free and find him a job which is what i did who'd you get him a job with the Memovira. Oh, Vira, really? Memovira. <laughs> so you you got him a job as a guardsman? Yes. Cool. I got him a job with Sunderman and Sunderman, the leather workers. What's the benefit of that? He gives you a belt that he made. What does making him a guardsman get you? He helps you later on when the sorrow attacks. Oh, okay. Cool. I mean, Sunderman and Sunderman are themselves quite interesting. Yes, I wrote that down as well. I mean, we'll just mention it now, since I brought them up. So on when you first encounter them, it appears like they're father and son, who bicker far too much for a father and son. But it turns out they're actually the same person, but in a time loop. So at some point, Sunderman the Younger will fall through a portal and get sent to the past, and then thus have to work his way back to the bloom in the present, at which point he'll meet his younger self and become Sunderman the Elder, and they both run this leather-working strand together. What's interesting is that the Elder's perspective on the world is so different to that of the Younger, but the Younger refuses, stub- stubbornly refuses to take any advice he that the elder has to pass on. It's quite interesting, I thought. The writing fools. We're fools, really. We won't even trust ourselves. Yeah, I have often thought what would happen if I was able to be sent back in time and talk to my younger self. I mean, what advice would you give your younger self? Or is it all too personal? I don't think I have, I'm have. wise enough to give advice yet. I still can't see how it's all going to play out. Really? I, I think it's pretty obvious what I tell myself. What would you tell yourself? Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Buy all the Bitcoin you can. No doubt your younger self would call you a fool. <laughs> Not when I tell them how much it's worth. Jeez. Buy all the Bitcoin you can and then retire. I wonder if the world is is, is in such a in such a state that the Bitcoin will f- will fail. Yeah. Just because you've <laughs> the act of me buying Bitcoin causes Bitcoin to fail. I'd be like, buy Apple stock, then buy buy Apple stock in two thousand, then sell all the Apple stock in like twenty ten, and then buy 
Bitcoin with the proceeds and then sell all your Bitcoin at the end of 2017. And then I don't know what to do after that, obviously. Buy a bunker and lots of tin food. <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway. What, what, do, you, what the, do you have? The other interesting thing was Waits for Prey. I just thought it was cool. This is like deadly fighting robot and it wants to fight worthy foes to try and make itself interesting to the bloom because it feels is it guilt or regret it remembers all of the battles it's fought and all the people it's killed and it it wants to forget and have a fresh start and it thinks its best chance for this is to be eaten by the bloom because the bloom will take something from you and it wants it it wants the bloom to take those memories and if you have fought interesting things in the bloom, it will fight you. If you just go straight up to it and say, I want to fight you, it'll be like, who are you? I'm not interested in fighting you, but you can fight it anyway. You can, you know, it'll be like, I don't want to fight you. And you can be pretty much saying, well, actually it wasn't a question. We're fighting and you can attack it. And then it's actually quite strong. Like I fought it when I first arrived at the bloom just to try it out. And I lost probably because I had Rin with me because Rin was still pathetic at that point in time. And it teleports you to this transdimensional arena and it's quite badass. I think, I think if I'd fought it at the end of my time in the bloom, I would have beaten it easily, but it's no pushover at the start, at least, particularly if you have just Rin in your party who can't fight when you arrive in the bloom. She's, you know, not high level enough. So what happened? Uh, well, I just lost, but I think if you manage to kill it, you get the head of this construct and later on, you can actually convince it to give you its head anyway, because later on, there's a more that needs to eat a predator. And you can just say, hey, the more is willing to eat you and it will just give you its head. It's one of the potential solutions. I mean, the other one is this jar of iron wind, which is this crazy thing. Well, we'll, we'll probably mention that later anyway. So did you get the scalpel? Yes, the transdimensional scalpel. Which is a very, for me, it was a very key item, but you didn't use it at all. Well, I used it as a weapon. How can you use a scalpel as a weapon? It's a pretty big scalpel. Have you seen it? <laughs> Did you upgrade it? No. You can go back to Ioxo. Ioxu. I-O-X-U. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> these names, who comes up with these names? Jeez. You can go back to the guy who initially made it. And he can upgrade it. And if you upgrade it, it's huge. I gave it to Makina to use as her main weapon. And she's just like strapped onto her belt. And it's like as long as her leg. It's like massive. So it's a pretty good weapon. It's basically a get of jail free card for the bloom. Like anytime you have to go through this whole complicated quest line to open a moor. You're like, oh, this moor wants cherry ice cream. Where are you going to find some ice cream in the bloom? You know, when you, instead of going through this ridiculous quest line to open the moor, you can be just like, cut it open with a scalpel. And it's like, this moor wants, uh, cut it open with a scalpel. But the bloom wants, cut it open with a scalpel. You know, shortcut to the end. Oh, well, that's what I did. I mean, I never used it for that. Though I did think about it several times, but... Your turn. Oh. <laughs> Mm, then let's mention the Iron Wind. Yes, please. So when you get to the old slave block, which is full of murders, there is 
a blind woman there who, for some reason, the Murdens are totally cool with just hanging out with her, even though they usually hate humans. Maybe they can't tell she's a human because she's so messed up. And her disfigurement is the result of an encounter with this thing called the Iron Wind. I don't know whether these are all things that exist in Numenera, the actual general backstory game world in the Dungeons and Dragons sense, like the whole, you know, lore of the bigger game world. But the Iron Wind is a cloud of nanobots that just rebuild things. They just like take things apart and rebuild them. It's one of the few things that can permanently kill you as well, which I think was quite interesting. So she was horribly disfigured by it and she has a jar of the Iron Wind. She's got like a small portion of it in this jar and she's like i'll give you this jar if you can restore my sight but but before that on the, the very you know <laughs> well, yeah. when you first encounter her yeah eritus is like oh this sounds like a dangerous thing i want it and then you know i want to deal with it i'm a hero and if you don't tell him no he just grabs it off her and opens it yeah i i said yeah let's ask for her permission first but that wasn't enough to stop him and then we all died yeah, it's really, really, he just opens the jar and it just kills all of you because it's, yeah, it just disassembles you like molecularly and then puts you back together in some crazy way, which is obviously not viable for survival. Is that what happened to you? Yes. So, so the first time I went there and I was like, I'm going to steal this jar off her. So I just nicked the jar off her and then she was just like, lol joke, I'm opening the jar then and then you die horribly. And then the next time I went there and I was like, no, Eritus, let's ask her first. And then he just opened the jar instead. I was like how many times am I going to die to this thing and the third time obviously I knew what to say I knew not to try and steal it off her and also to tell Eritus no no but I did restore her sight and then she gave it to me willingly anyway so that was interesting and the Iron Wind is another predator that can be used to fulfil this more later on the Churgeon slump there's a few characters here but the main one here is Artaglio Tashlio let's call him yeah is it Artaglio Artaglio I don't know let's call him Artaglio and you need him to open up the mall and there's quite a few conversation checks there are multiple ways to persuade him to open so the more in the Churgeon slump wants specifically this guy and he's the leader of a company of mercenaries that are camped out in the swamp. And there are multiple ways to convince him to feed himself to the moor. So number one, you can just win a conversation, you know, persuasion check with him. Number two, you can win a drinking contest with him. Number three, you can retrieve the banner of his company, at which point he says he'll do you a favour. And if you retrieve it, you can just say, my favour is I want you to feed yourself to the moor and he'll do it. Number four... I think it's possible to feed him an essence of bravery that you buy from one of the other Churgeons, and then he'll feel brave and just do it. Or I think the fifth option, you can take some of his hair and distill an essence of him and then feed that to someone else and get them to feed themselves to the moor. How many of those were you aware of at the time of opening the moor? I was not aware that you could feed him an essence of bravery, but I was aware of the other four options. 
Oh, and of course, you can use the scalpel just to open them all. I only knew of three. I was only aware of those three, and I think I failed to execute on three. So I used the scalpel. You could have got his company banner back, surely. I didn't know that. Oh, okay, you didn't know that. So you failed the persuasion check. You failed the drinking contest. Yeah. Okay. And I remember in the last episode, I was saying 80% everything. That was a mistake. Because 80% still means you'll fail one in five times. So, well played the mechanics of torment. (laughs) You were defeated. After saying there's nothing to it and it's 80% everything. I was wrong. And I'm actually happy to be wrong. Me, on the other hand, I solved like all of them. Like I won the drinking contest and I had the company banner back and I didn't try and persuade him, but I would easily have passed that conversation check as well. My character was basically specced entirely into persuasion and blah, blah, blah. So I would have easily passed that check if I wanted to. So I actually had like multiple options available. I used one of my favors from him to get an item, which was this amazing like shield. And then the other one was, yeah, feed yourself to the moor. So that's how I did it. And if he feeds himself to the moor, you can also absorb him as a reflection in the labyrinth later on. And it's actually quite a good reflection. It's like Artaglio's cunning, and it gives like plus 20% damage to people around you. There's a a less important character you come across in this area, and it's Boras. Boras, let's go with that. And he asks for 200 shins, and... I'm so naive. I really thought I could get something out of him later on. He's just a drug addict. He's he's standing outside of this clinic that sells experiences, like essences of so-and-so, like an experience. And he's just like, I need more, man. I need more. Can you spare me some shins? I just need to buy another one. You know, he's squandered all his family money and he's asking for more money from you. And you were just like, oh yeah, have some money. If he'd been like, oh, I just need some more crack. Can I have 200 shins for some more crack? But this is a game, right? I'll get something in the long term. But you don't. Maybe I'll get some gold tied. Hmm. Wait, wait, wait. Do you get gold tied for helping a drug addict feed their addiction? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. You can sell him to the decanted. He is a beautiful person that the decanted is interested in buying. So I think that is his main use. But I didn't do that. I told the decanted to GTFO, so. So then... Little Nilyesh. Did you find anything interesting here? There's quite a few things here. Do you want to start? It's your turn. Is it my turn? Okay. Yeah. The first thing is you can send Rin home. So there's a mutant here who actually has a moor on their body. It's kind of weird. And it turns out that Rin actually ended up in the Sagas Cliffs area. Because of this moor, she came out of this guy's moor in his body and then she ran away. And he actually will say, it's like, oh, if you'd stuck around, I'd have sent you home. So he knows how to open the moor that goes back to her homeworld or homeland. I don't know where she's from, wherever. And you can open the moor, basically, and send her back. And for that, you need, again, either the scalpel or to find someone with a sufficiently good relationship with you. Basically, there's a weird guy who's like super enamored with you. And he's like, oh, you helped me when you were the changing god. He thinks you're still the changing god. He thinks you're Adan, which is itself a funny Easter egg from Planescape Torment. You can feed this guy's 
good thoughts towards you to the more, and that will open it and send her in home. And did, did you do this? I did send her home. How did you open the more? Well, I fed this guy's, you know, the wonder, the happy guy. I then just cut the guy. You just cut. I'm just going to cut you. I'm going to cut you. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, and I was a bit dubious. I was like, uh, should I cut you? Can't be asked, I'll cut you. How does the guy react to you just cutting him? Is he okay with it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I, I was un, I was I was unsure that maybe there could be negative consequences as a result. But what I didn't realise is that if Rin leaves your party, you can't get her back. So what what I mean is, if you dismiss Rin from your party to re- bring someone else in, Rin actually is like not happy about leaving your party, and you can't get her back. I actually only found this out afterwards by like reading a guide. When you try and call Rin back with the Bronze Sphere, she uses Arl, like her god of hiding, to hide herself from the Bronze Sphere, and and then her symbol just disappears from the sphere. So when she leaves now by sending her through the moor, you can't call her back. But even if you dismiss her from your party, she won't come back, which I thought was quite interesting. So once Rin is in your party, she's there for good. So you just have to deal with this like useless 10-year-old could you have called her had she not come into your party in the first place? No. So Rin is a... Uh, once you get her, you're stuck with her. And she is completely worthless until... I think once she gets to tier 3, she actually probably becomes quite useful because she gets an ability that lets her use a cipher multiple times. Did you get her up to tier 3? No. <laughs> Basically, no. There is an eventual payoff, though, because if you send Rin home, then, as we'll cover at the very end, you meet her again as an adult. And then she's a monster. But we'll talk about that later. I think at this stage of the game, I was realising I had enough edge for unlimited retries. So this is your 80%. For things that are retriable. So I guess sometimes 80% is a good option. Yes. Yeah, just keep retrying it to the level where you have edge. Yeah, mechanically it just feels a bit wonky at times when with things like this. You think it should make you, regardless of your level of edge, cost you one point. But it just costs one extra point. But if you still have even more edge than that, then it doesn't cost you anything. I had a couple of pieces of dialogue from the little Nilesh. When you first enter that area, there's a dispute between two parties. Yeah, so this is the quest from Bruska to find the two patrols of the Memovira who have gone missing. So one of them is in the old slave block with the Murdens and you can free them, which I didn't mention at the time, but blah, blah, blah. And one of the ones from that party, in fact, is the father of the kids that you meet earlier on in Sagas Cliffs. So there's some payoff to that. But anyway, they're set in the mutant area. I don't know the encounter. The dialogue wasn't that interesting. I just had one line from it that I found quite amusing because I'm a child. <laughs> You're leaving a trail of fear, Pierce. I, I don't know. I found this terminology quite hilarious, quite funny. You are a child, Ting. What? Honestly, Ting. <laughs> I, I just, I just skipped over this. Unremarkable. I was like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Intimidating. You're leaving a trail of fear, Pierce. Who paid for your protection? Yeah. This encounter, actually, it turns out, is quite important. So again, like something will we'll talk about at the very end but this is one of the critical encounters in the game depending on how 
you resolve this encounter, actually, it will change the ending of the game, it turns out. So, at the very end of the game, when it's giving you info about all the things that happened, like after the end, if you resolve this encounter to defuse the situation where they, you know, you don't side with either party, so you don't side with the mutants and you don't side with the Memovirus mercenaries, which is what I did, at the end of the game, there's a big war between the mutants and the normals. And because there's no firm winner in terms of balance of power, there's a big conflict to see who's going to be, you know, in control of the bloom, the mutants or, you know, because the Memovirus is weak or gone or whatever, depending on how things played out. So... Yeah. I mean, did you side one or the other or did you diffuse it? I diffused it. Yeah. So we presumably both got the same ending. And there's Crimper, the guy by the um, by the trash. And he's quite self-aware. He's nattering along. He asks you, are you a listener? He's like, yeah, I'm a listener. I you saying to you, I exhaust all the conversation options. I want to hear everything. And I ask all the questions too. This made me take a step back and I thought, huh, should I not be listening to everything just because that's how I should be playing the game. It's true. I mean, I, I don't role play these games that much, at least not on my first playthrough. My first playthrough, I usually trust if I play the game multiple times, I'll be more role play the second time maybe, but usually I play these games just once and I try and see everything in my one playthrough. So I listen to everything. I exhaust every conversation option. I try and do every possible path. So Yeah. I will be natted too, because it's like, maybe there's going to be something good at the end of it. And there was. There's always three XP. <laughs> there's always three XP. There's also, this is the guy who teaches you to search in trash piles, right? And you find the Lascar helmet as a result. And then if you put on this, like, helmet filled with crap and, like, decaying humanoid, blah, disgusting, you can actually learn something very interesting, because... The Lascars are a people who are on this space station trying to find their way home. They're waiting for a ship to come and bring them home. And so this helmet belonged to one of their people who they think has been lost. And obviously they are lost. They died. And this person discovered something and they need to cross check the information they discovered with their like main computer of the space station, which is called the Cortex. And so if you find this helmet and examine it in detail you get a quest to go and cross-reference the information on the helmet with the Cortex. Ah, so I didn't examine the helmet. Right. So what do we have to wrap up the side quests? Well, the last thing I have is really about the Cortex, but we can cover that in a bit. Okay. So, I mean, basically there is a more in Little Neliesh that leads to this place called the Lost Anchorage, which is the space station with all of the Lascars on. And when you talk to them, uh, there's like the captain in the airlock and you can talk to her and she basically says, oh yeah, you, you're free to wander around. We're trying to find our way home, blah, blah, blah. The only thing is that outsiders are not allowed to see the Cortex because one time some outsiders tried to steal the Cortex and, you know, the Cortex is our way home. So, you know, it's forbidden. And you ask her about these outsiders and she tells you they were executed and tortured and the only thing they would say was Dracogen. So you're like, hmm, Dracogen wants the Cortex. So if you talk to him, 
he'll give your quest to steal the cortex or he'll also tell you that as well as the magmatic annulet the other thing he wants is the cortex and actually you can give him the cortex instead of the annulet if you wanted yeah and to open the portal use the scalpel or you can feed it some other people there's a there's a quest line involving basically a space nazi and you can feed her to the more instead and then it also kind of makes her repent which is a good thing i suppose so anyway blah 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 lost anchorage to finish up then you wanted to talk about a few mechanical highlights yes so first one is back in time mila vest the attack by the sorrow it goes crisis started and you have to escape from the sorrow yeah did you want to say anything about that thing as you particularly called it out and you said you want to talk about it later? Because up to now, all your crisis events, is that true, have been battles. But in this one, it's not the case. Or is it? Could you have fought them all? You can fight them all. I mean, you will lose. Yeah, so there's sorrow fragments and there's like sorrow fire everywhere and it's all horrible. And you can reactivate the shield generators to try and purge some of the fire and really you're trying to get out of Mila Vest and yes you can try and rescue other cast offs well there's a whole bunch of things you can do but you've got limited time because it's in the form of a crisis so you have your turn and then the enemy's turn and then eventually the sorrow itself shows up and the sorrow itself will just one shot everything so you have a very limited time to try and get out of Mila Vest so you learn very quickly, because if you try to fight the Sorrow Fragments, you'll die. You'll die. So I changed tacticals just to try to make my way to the, the exit. And I thought it was quite clever, because you have the the music of the crisis, and you have the limit, but you're not rushing through to exit. You're actually having to methodically make conscious decisions as to what you want to do next with your four, four-man team. And there are things there you can miss as well. There's there's a mere caster, for example, on one of the dead cast-offs. And you can clear some rubble and go in that direction and fetch it. There are other cast-offs you can rescue. For example, like Melmoth has given up and is going to like just let himself die. And you can like convince him, no, you need to still live. And he will then try and make his way to the exit. Yeah, there are various cast-offs who are just going to like die unless you tell them to run. And they'll back you up as well if you engage with them you can tell they'll they'll help fight the sorry fragments exactly so i thought it was very clever and for me i felt it managed to maintain the tension up to the last minute where i hit the exit the other one that i wanted to call out is the bit where you have to try and get to the cortex which is pretty much the same thing it's it's a crisis but it's not a combat crisis but it's slightly different because it's a heist for me, it was a heist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think that's right. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's like a heist. It's really cool. To me, this was the turning point where I was like, you know what, this game is good. <laughs> this game actually is pretty good. Like, it felt so much like, oh, if only more of the game was like this. I thought it was really clever. So you arrive at the Lost Anchorage. And the music is all like Mass Effect and it's kind of sci-fi. And it's like, oh, this is actually quite cool. Like this contrast of the weird organic thing of the bloom and like the super high technology lost anchorage. And then you find out about the cortex, blah, blah, blah. And there's also a guy there who says, oh, I'm willing to give you a tour. 
but he says, oh, I'm too busy. But later on, once you either have the quest from Dracogen to steal the Cortex, or you have the helmet, which needs to be cross-checked with the Cortex, then he will give you the tour. And when he, he does the tour, it actually starts a crisis. And it says, get to the Cortex and steal it or use the helmet on it. And I'm like, oh, it's so cool. And yeah, so while he's distracted, I mean, the way it plays out, he's giving you a tour of the anchorage. So he's going around the anchorage and explaining various bits of it to you. And you can distract him for longer by having a party member talk to him and ask him questions. Meanwhile, you can force open or hack the door to the cortex chamber and then interact with the cortex itself. And even if you're trying to just cross-check the information on the helmet with the cortex, the cortex actually says, oh, you actually need to open the cortex chamber so I can deep scan the helmet, which means you have to enact level three of the cortex removal process. It's like, you basically have to remove the cortex anyway. So whether you're trying to steal the cortex or scan the helmet, you still have to basically remove the cortex. And it's really cool because the cortex itself is a sequence of complicated stack checks, either intellect tests, because you're having to like do complicated tasks, and then also a quick fingers check at the main control pit to verify that you've performed the step correctly. Or instead of doing intellect checks on the cortex, you can actually just smash the cortex. It would be like, do this complicated task, unlock this lever and then pull the lever. You can just pull the lever with like great strength instead or smash open this like, you know, box to press this button. So you can do it either by might or by intellect. And then you can also have to use quick fingers. You basically have to exercise all your stat pulls one way or the other. It was really cool. I really liked the kind of heist feel to it. It would be, I don't know, it showed so much promise. It made me think, wow, actually, if only there was more of this in the game. And it was another case where I couldn't just go with 80%. There's too much at risk, too much at stake. So I went with 100% at some points. Yeah. I mean, it turned out I actually had quite a good party for it. So in my case, I had the last cast off who had, in my case, had very high intellect and high intellect edge, and Eritus, who had high might and high might edge in the cortex room, and then Makina, who had high speed and speed edge in the control pit. And then my last character was Tibia, because I pulled him back in after Rin had left. So he was just distracting the guy giving the tour. Uh, I didn't pull anyone back in. So I only had three people doing this. I had Eritus at the cortex, Calistige with the commander, and myself with my Slow fingers. <laughs> so you actually managed to steal the cortex. I did. I couldn't leave in time. Well, how do, how does yours conclude? So with mine, I basically complete the cortex removal procedure and then get it to scan the helmet. And the cortex tells you that the Lascar's homeworld is called Ishkinu. And then once it scans the helmet by looking at the star patterns it has in its memory for Ishkinu and the star patterns that the helmet recorded from, you know, being outside the bloom, it realizes that the ninth world is Ishkinu. And so you can then go and talk to the commander of the station and tell her, hey, you're waiting for a ship to bring you home. This portal actually leads to your homeworld. Is this still in the crisis? In the crisis. So you, you're rushing to tell her before the commander gets back to the... Cortex room? Yes. And then then she'll run off to the Cortex room to confer with the Cortex. The Cortex will verify it to her. And then she'll be like, wow, thanks. We don't need this anymore. 
here's the cortex, and then they evacuate the station. Okay. Seeing the cortex is slightly different. So we all rush to the exit, which is on the other side of the cortex room. And obviously, whoever's with the commander and whoever's at the terminal make it to the door. Beritus doesn't. So he starts getting shot at in maybe 10 steps away from the main exit. I think at some point he gets mobilized. I hid him. I was able to hide him still. And then the other two just eat attacks until Eretis is no longer immobilized. And when he leaves, the other two are so close to the door, we all get to escape. <laughs> Lucky. You made it out. I made it out. I thought I could go to Dracogen and complete the quest, but then the quest says, report back to Dracogen in shame. I think the game thought I'd failed the mission because I was detected or caught. But you still got the Cortex. I still have the Cortex, yeah. And you still traded it to him for the Mere Caster. Yes. Okay. And in my case, I actually did this before I got the amulet. So I traded the Cortex to him for the meeting with the Memovira instead, and I kept the amulet for myself. And then after the next section, I then gave him the amulet once I finished using it to get the Mere Caster. Optimization. Woo! Hmm. I just realised we haven't really talked all the way up to the Merovira because we haven't talked about the Ascension. But never mind, let's do that next time because we've already been talking way too long. What I'm impressed with is that it didn't just auto-fail me when I got detected. You know, most games, lesser games would have said, you haven't escaped the the level, we've detected you, game out. You know, please restart or reload. It let me fight to the bitter end, even though I wanted to give up as well. <laughs> yeah, you've been quite good about not reloading when it goes sideways. I just reload when it goes sideways. Oh, it sounded like you let you let things go sideways. I let things go sideways a bit, but if they go really sideways, I was just like, reload. Yeah, I'm terrible. But that's what this game teaches you very quickly as well. Should you die, you don't really die. You just go on. And, you know, more interesting things happen. I mean, the very first encounter in, oh, I don't remember where it was now, when you take on Koros, is that right? Koro. Reef of Fallen Worlds. Yes. And you surrender, he knocks you out and you appear somewhere else. So it does do this quite well. Yeah, true. Oh man, there's so much we didn't talk about. (laughs) knew that would happen. (laughs) Jeez. Okay, well anyway, for next time then, we'll talk about the remainder of the bloom and then all the way up to the end of the game. Okay. Because it turns out there was a lot to talk about with this game. So we are extending this one more set of episodes, one more set of episodes. So yeah, even though we have actually mechanically finished the game, there's so much to talk about. So for next time, we'll talk about the game till the end of the game. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. Please find us on Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. You can also find us on Reddit. Slash r slash lost levels club on email mike dot and dot ting at lost levels dot club on YouTube and Twitch as lost levels club. I think that's it. I think that's it too. What are you grateful for, Sir Michael? I'm grateful to be home. <laughs> it's the opposite of I'm grateful to be going on holiday. I'm grateful to be home after being away for so many weeks. I guess. Sir Michael says bye. Bye bye.